Uh, well, anyways, my name is Brandon. It is good to be with you. If you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. Glad that you would join us this morning for worship. Uh, if there's anything that we can do to help you get connected to the community here at River City, we would love to be able to do that. Uh, come find me or Becky or somebody else from up that's up, been up front here. We'd love to get to know you, get you plugged in the community here at River City. Uh, last week, we started a new series taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we began our study last week, we, we highlighted the reality that the fruit of the Spirit is not primarily a list of virtues that we are simply supposed to try hard to attain, that we're supposed to be striving to attain. In fact, hopefully what you saw last week as we studied is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is something that we can actually not produce in and of ourselves. Instead, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is naturally produced in us as the transforming power of the gospel takes deep root in our hearts. See, in other words, believing and responding to the truths of the gospel, it's the one thing that not only can, but inevitably will produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. See, believing the gospel is not just the thing that saves us, it's not just the thing that makes us right with God. Believing the truths of the gospel is the thing that grows us, it's the thing that changes us and transforms us so that we look more and more like Jesus and so that what is naturally produced in our character is the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, as, uh, as, we, uh, as we examine our hearts and our lives over the course of this series to see where we might have areas of fruitfulness or fruitlessness in our, in our own lives, the goal then is not to simply get you to try harder to try to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. As we talk about love this morning, the goal is not to get you to think, oh, wow, I'm really not a loving person. I need to work hard at being more loving Instead, the goal as we evaluate our own hearts and lives, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, is to ask the question when we see fruitfulness in our lives, or when we see, more importantly, when we see fruitlessness in our lives, is to, is to ask the question, what is it about the gospel? What is it about, about the person and the work of Jesus that has not yet taken deep root in my heart? What is it about who he is and all that he has done for me that I need to spend time dwelling in, that I need to allow to sink deeply into the recesses of my heart so that the fruit of the Spirit is the thing that is naturally produced in my life. This morning we're starting at the top of the list as Paul begins his list in this passage in Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit known as love. And what I want to do each week as we study what God's Word teaches about uh, what it looks like for our lives and our hearts to be characterized by each of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, what I want to do is kind of follow this threefold roadmap. I, I want to first identify what this aspect of spiritual fruit is all about. What is it? Secondly, I want to point out some counterfeit versions that we often mistake for the real thing. And lastly, what I, want to, what I want to do is I want to show you how Jesus is not only the perfect example of that fruit of the Spirit, but how, his, but how dwelling on how he demonstrates that fruit of the Spirit towards us, in relationship to us, is the thing that actually produces the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. And so, in other words, our roadmap as we go through our series uh, is going to be, what is it? What isn't it? 
And what are the gospel roots that produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? So with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into our study this morning. Jesus, we uh, come to you this morning just grateful that you would uh, allow us to gather together and to study your word. Um, God, we, we just we really need you this morning. I, I really sense my own need for you and my own inadequacy this morning for the task I've been asked to do this morning. And so, God, I need you to fill me by your spirit so that I'd be able to even teach what is valuable and good and right. God, and we need you as well to enable us to hear and respond rightly to your word and and so we just come, God, needing you to meet us in the midst of our need for you. We, uh, we are so grateful that you promised to do that. And so we look forward expectantly to how you will remind us and show us of your own love for us and how as we dwell on that, that you will begin to produce it in us. And so we ask that you would do all of that, God, uh, for our good and for our joy, but as well for your great glory so the world would know you. We pray all that in your good name. Amen. Amen. Well, first, uh, first thing on our roadmap, right? What is it? So the first thing on Apostle Paul's list when he outlines the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that should really come as no surprise to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the most famous passage about love in all of Scripture, uh, Paul, he, he highlights that, that you can be the most skilled, the most humble, the most gifted person in the world, and if you're not characterized by love and none of it matters. Again, in Colossians 3, Paul's exhorting Christians towards compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, a list that looks very similar to the one that we see listed as the fruit of the Spirit. And at the end of verse 14 in Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, he says to them, over all of these things, he says, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. See, the reality is, is that, that love is not just the first fruit of the Spirit. That love is actually the foundation on which all of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit are built upon. You see, but, but love, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so the question we need to begin by asking, when we say we're defining what love is, is that we need to ask what the Bible says it is and what, what it means here in Galatians chapter 5 as well as throughout Scripture as a whole, not what we think it means. Now, normally it's, it's not really important to know anything about the original languages that the Bible is written in, mostly because our modern translations are really, really good and trustworthy. But there are some times where understanding the original language is really helpful for understanding the nuance and of what's happening in the passage and this is one of those places where understanding the, the Greek is pretty helpful. You see, in English, we just have one word for love, right? Love, that's the word, right? It's just one, it's all we got, right? But, and we use the same word to describe how we think about pizza and our spouses, right? Like, there's a, there's a wide range of things that we, that we describe as things we love, right? And we don't mean that we love pizza the same way we love our spouse or our kids, I mean, I don't mean that. I mean, some people really love pizza, so maybe that is a thing, but, you know, that's a different, that's a different sermon for a different day, right? But, but in Greek, the language that most of the New Testament is written in, there's a bunch of different, there's a bunch of different words that, re, that refer to more precise uh, versions of what it, more precise kinds of love. And there's, uh, 
There's more than this, but some of the most common ones, there's the Greek word storge. That means that it refers to a kind of love or affection between family members. There's eros, which is the kind of romantic or sexual love between spouses, a husband and a wife. There's phileo, which refers to the kind of, a, refers to more of, of love that's characterized by friendship or camaraderie. That's where the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that's where it gets its name, right? But the word that's used for the kind of love that is described as the fruit of the Spirit, and really the word that is used most often throughout the New Testament to describe uh, what it is that God's love, as well as the love that we're called to as his people, is the Greek word agape. And it is the, it's a word, it's the highest form of love in the Greek language. It is, it is the purest kind of love. It refers to a, a selfless kind of love that's characterized by devotion and sacrifice and service to others. It, it refers to a kind of love that's not, that's not based on merit or perceived worthiness or it's not based on reciprocal benefit. Instead, it's rooted in the intrinsic value of another. It's an incredible kind of love, and, and so often it feels like a foreign kind of love in our world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the Bible offers us what is probably the most clear description, the most clear fleshing out of what that kind of agape love looks like, what that really means to love in that kind of a way. And it's a passage that's usually read at weddings which is totally fine, by the way. You could not have a better picture of what kind of love should characterize a marriage than we see in 1 Corinthians 13. But it's really important that you understand, that you see that, that the, the kind of love that Paul's writing about there, it wasn't written about in the context of a marriage or a wedding. In fact, the description that Paul gives of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is a description given in the context of fighting. It's in the, given in the context of conflict. It's, it's given in the context of division. It was a description of love that was meant to wake people up to their own pridefulness, their own selfishness, their own lack of love itself. And so it's in that context that Paul writes this description of agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. He says this, he says, love is patient. Literally, the word translated there, it means it suffers long. Love, literally, love puts up with a lot of crap. It's kind, he says. It, it does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Agape love, it is not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Agape love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It protects, it always trusts, it hopes, it always perseveres. Agape love does not fail. And so when Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, that's the kind of love he's saying gets produced in us. That's the, the quality of love that the fruit of the Spirit manifests in our hearts and in our lives when the gospel takes deep root in us. And if we're honest, you, you look at that list in, in 1 Corinthians 13, and it almost feels like an unreal kind of love, right? We, we look at that list and we think, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever even seen that kind of a love. You see, and that's because there's a number of counterfeit kinds of loves that we often mistake for the real thing. And we become kind of numb to what real love actually is. See, we often mistake the passive feeling of affection for the, initiati the initiating action of agape love. 
You see, when you look at the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13, you notice how there is not a, there's not an abundance of emotional words there, is there? Instead, what, what you see is that that list is characterized by decision kinds of words, by choice kinds of words, and by action-oriented kinds of words. It's patient, it's kind, it's others-centered, not self-centered. It protects, it perseveres. One pastor I listened to this week said it this way, he says, love that is a fruit of the Spirit is not a victim of emotion. Instead, he says, that kind of love is a servant of the will. See, agape love is a, is a choice, it's a decision that we make. Agape love isn't merely a feeling, it's a choice that is demonstrated as well in an action. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 it says, this is how God shows his love for us. See, agape love is, is not characterized primarily by a feeling, but rather it is characterized by a demonstration of actions that are marked by selflessness and sacrificialness. See, that brings us to another form of the counterfeit love that we often mistake for the real thing. You see, we often mistake self-seeking love for sacrificial agape love. You see, you often hear about this where couples who've been married for years, they've just, they said, the, the love's gone in our marriage. We just don't feel it anymore, and, and they just want out. They just want to be done. You see, and that's often because we've mistaken uh, a selfless kind of love for a self-seeking love. You see, often relationships are started full of passion and excitement and emotion and feelings of affection. But anyone who has been married for longer than like 15 or 20 minutes uh, knows that marriage is really hard and that nobody is perfect and that loving someone else is not something that happens only when you feel like doing it. In fact, those, those moments often feel few and far between. Love instead is a choice that we look to, to to sacrificially serve and put the needs and the good of another in front of our own. So that's what happens so often with kids, right? Why is it that so often marriages fall apart but parents' relationships with their kids stay strong no matter the situations? Why? It's because when your kid is zero years old and they're screaming at two o'clock and three o'clock and four o'clock and again at eight o'clock in the middle of the night, right, you don't think, ugh, They'll deal with it themselves. No, you get up and you go and you love your child. You serve them. You care for them. They're not giving anything back to you. In the beginning, they're not even smiling at you in the beginning. And what happens is you keep serving and you keep sacrificing for the good of another. And what happens is your love for them grows stronger and stronger. You see, because Real kind of love, agape kind of love. It's not rooted in an emotion. It is an emotion that it's found itself rooted in an action of sacrificial service for one another. And if you want to feel love for one another, and the way you do it is by sacrificially laying down your own rights and your own good for the good of another. And so we often mistake self-seeking love for sacrificial agape love but we also often mistake convenient love for costly agape love. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus points out this kind of counterfeit love when he says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anyone else? Do not even the pagans do that? You see, the agape kind of love that Jesus calls his people to, that's a mark of the fruit of the Spirit, is not marked by loving those who are easy to love or loving people when they are easy to love. Instead, it is marked by loving those who are hard to love and even when it costs, it is costly to love. You see, everybody loves people who love them. That's easy. When someone is cheering for you, it is easy to respond in love for them. But that's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a kind of love marked by loving those who are hard to love. Jesus says, even those who are your enemies, even those who feel like they are opposed to you. And so agape love is not, it's not convenient love. It's costly kind of love. We often mistake as well unconditional acceptance and approval for agape love. You see, God's love, it meets us where we are at, but it doesn't leave us there. The true kind of love, uh, true love does not approve of every action or every behavior or every desire because not every action and not every behavior and not every desire is good and right. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love does not delight in evil. Love does not affirm evil. It does not rejoice in sin. It rejoices with the truth. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it adds, Paul says, he says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment so that you would approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. You see, agape kind of love does not just blindly approve and accept of everyone and everything for any reason. It rejoices in the truth and what is right. Agape love points others towards the truths of God and does not approve of what is an offense to him. And lastly, and I think most importantly, we often mistake merit-based love for true agape love. You see, if we're honest, more often than not, our expressions of love are directly related to the attractiveness or the perceived worthiness of the object of our affection. We express love because we find a person attractive or because we believe they are somehow worthy of it or because we think that by loving them that we will get something back in response but that is not agape love. You see, agape love is not rooted in worthiness, in the worthiness of the beloved. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is speaking to the Israelites here and he tells them, I did not love you because you were greater or bigger or more significant than any other nation. God says, I loved you because I chose to do it. I loved you because I decided to. You see, so often we mistake the counterfeit kinds of love for the real thing. And the question becomes for us as we seek to evaluate our own hearts is how can you tell the real thing from the counterfeit? In everyday life, how do you tell the real kind of love from the counterfeit kinds of love? At a bank, when they train tellers to uh, learn to identify fake money, you'd think that what they would do is show them a bunch of fake bills. But actually what they do is they show them a lot of real, authentic ones. You see, because it's only when you know the real thing that you can really identify the counterfeits. 
And if you and I, if we want to see the real kind of love that the Spirit produces, we've got to look long and hard at the real thing. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You want to know the real thing. You have to look at Jesus. You see, Jesus' love for us was not merely a feeling of affection, nor was it convenient for him. It was an initiating, uh, initiating action, love, of love, love, demonstrated by costly sacrifice. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. As 1 John three sixteen, we just read, said, Jesus laid down his life for us. He did it for us, not on our best day, not when we were easy to love, not when we had our stuff together, not when we looked appealing to him. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Verse 10 goes on in Romans chapter 5, says that while we were enemies of God, he died for us. When we were opposed to him, when we were his enemies, that's what God chose to love you with a costly and sacrificial kind of love. And Jesus' love for us was not self-seeking. It was not based on our merit. It wasn't based on what we could do for him or how worthy we were of to be loved. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says it this way, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says that it was because of God's great love for us. Because he is rich in mercy that he made us alive when we were dead in our sin. You see the Bible says we didn't love God a little bit. And then he saw, oh, there's something there I can work with. I see there's a little bit there. I'll give myself back. No, what the Bible says is that when our hearts were in opposition to him, when we hated God, when we did not want to follow him, when we didn't want to obey him, when we had no interest in him, when we were his enemies, that's when he chose to love us. We didn't love him at all, and yet he still loved us and came to be the sacrifice that would forgive our sins, that would atone for them. Here's the deal. It is only when you experience that kind of love that your heart will be melted and reshaped in such a way that you love others in that kind of a way. See, it's only when you see that God has loved you not because of what you could do for him, not because of what you brought to the table, not, not, not as a response to some little bit of love that you brought his way, but instead simply because he chose to direct his love at you. Then what will happen is you will start to love others in that kind of way. It is only when you see that God loved you, not when it was easy and not when it was convenient, but when it was hard and when it was costly and when it required great sacrifice, that's when you will only be able to love others in an inconvenient kind of way, when you'll be able to love others who aren't easy to love. It's only when you see that God showed his love for you, not merely in words, but by giving his very own son for you, that you'll start to demonstrate a kind of love towards others, not merely with words, 
but with costly and sacrificial kinds of actions. It's only when you see that God loved you when you did not deserve to be loved that you will start to love others not based on how worthy you think they are to be loved but as a response to the overflow of God's love for you when you know you weren't worthy to be loved. Do you see how the gospel roots is the one thing that produces the Spirit's fruit of love in us? It's the one thing that can do it. You see, the only way you love in a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of way, in an agape love kind of way, is when you realize the reality that you have been loved like that by God, and when that reality sinks deeply into your soul. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 tells us, Paul writes, he says, follows God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, he says, and walk in the way of love. Just as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, the, our love for others, it is a response. Is, it comes out of responding to God's love for us. And when we realize that that kind of a love, when an agape kind of love is not what characterizes us, it should be a red flag for us, alerting us to the reality that we have either never known that kind of love from God or we simply have forgotten that we have been loved like that. John 4, 1 John 4, he writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love itself comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God himself is love. Verse 11 goes on, Dear friends, since God has loved us, we also should love one another. You see, the reason why we don't love in an agape love kind of way is because we have not either known God's agape love for us or because we have forgotten it. You see, and every week when we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering. We're reminding ourselves of God's agape kind of love for us. We're reminding ourselves of his initiating action love, of his demonstrated love, of his, his, his sacrificial love for us that's proven on the cross. And taking communion, it doesn't make us right with God, it doesn't save us, it doesn't change our status or our standing with him. But what it does do is, is it helps us to remember Jesus' love for us. It reminds us of his body, which was sacrificially broken for us. It reminds us of his blood, which was shed for us in love for us. It's so that in remembering his broken body and shed blood on our behalf, we would be filled with a love for him that overflows, as his love did for us, into a love for others. And so this morning, as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, if you have put your trust in Jesus to make you right with God, if you have received his agape love for you, then whenever you are ready, in joy and in thankfulness, I'd encourage you, go and take communion. If you've missed the elements on the way in, you can grab them on the table in the, in the foyer. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to have trusted in Jesus, belonged to him. But if not yet, if you're here this morning and you're still figuring out who Jesus is to you and what it might mean to follow him, if you're here this morning and you realize then that you might not have ever known his agape love for you, then I encourage you, 
One, to receive that, but also to wait until you have received it, until you take communion. And you see, instead of taking communion, come to Jesus. Receive his agape love for you. See, the only way to bear the fruit of the Spirit is by faith to trust Jesus, to forgive you of your own sin, and to love you with his kind of love so that you might have a spirit to empower you to live a new life unto him and to love others as he has loved you. And so this morning, as we take communion, I want to encourage you, talk with God. Sometimes it's really scary to ask God to point out in us the ways that we are unlike him. It can, be, it can feel uh, unarming. It can feel revealing when we ask God to show us the things that we need to grow in. But there's no way to find life without Jesus revealing the deadness in us that he needs to bring to life. Ask him to reveal to your own heart where there is a fruitlessness regards to love and the fruit of the Spirit. Ask him to help you to evaluate the kind of love that you show towards others. And ask him to remind you about what it is about the gospel that you needed to hear this morning so it might produce in you the kind of love that he has shown towards you. The one way that the fruit of the spirit of love is produced in you is when you receive it from him, when you encounter it in him, and when you dwell on it so that it takes deep root and becomes overflowing in your life. And so to that end, let's pray this morning. King Jesus, we come to you. God, we come to you as a people. God, who look at the way that we're called to love and so often see ourselves falling short. God, our love is so often not characterized by patience and kindness. It's so often not characterized by seeking the good of others, instead by seeking our own good. It, it so often is proud, it boasts, God, we, we so often, our kind of love is not yours. And Jesus, we ask that you might help us to see and encounter a real kind of love in you and from you. So that what might happen in our hearts is that your love and the truths of the gospel, the reality that you have loved us when we did not deserve to be loved, that you loved us not conveniently but costly, that you loved us in a way that was sacrificial, in a way that was incredibly valuable. God, help us to see and experience that kind of love from you. Cause it to sink deep into our hearts so that the love that we show towards others and towards you might be an outpouring of your love for us. God, as 1 John tells us, God, that, that the world might know that we are Christians by our love. Help us to reveal you and to reveal your love as we love one another and as we love you in response to your love for us, God. We need you. Amen.